Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hello and welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 61, brought to you by Wicked Tree Gear. Today, we're talking with Cole Tanner of Ozonics. Cole shares stories from when he was a big game guide out west to running the camera for Fred Eichler, and how it all led to his current role as product specialist at Ozonics. So stay tuned. All right, we are live. Welcome back to another episode of the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. And as always, joined by my brother from another mother, the racing the racing demon, Johnny Utah. What's going on, man? <laughs> What's up, man? How you been? <laughs> Good, man. Just found, I didn't know you were a race car driver. You know, for those out there listening that don't know, we always catch up a little bit before we jump on and record. And I, I learned something new about you. I never knew that you were a race car driver. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, man. Um, grew up, grew up with the around dirt tracks. My, my dad was always involved in it. Never a driver himself. He always owned cars and had other people driving. And, um, I took to the sport and became a big fan of it. You know, growing up, I was also a fan of NASCAR and stuff too, but it's kind of one of those things, asphalts for getting to the track and, and dirts for actually racing on it, you know? That's but, what um, I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I um, I was kind of a, a pit crew guy on one of my dad's uh, dirt late model teams for a few years, and a bunch of his buddies they kept kind of leaning on me. They're like, you know, why don't you drive for your dad? And I'm like, yeah, dad, you know, what's up? What's right. up with that? How come I don't drive? And he's like, look, son, you know, you can't just get in one of these cars and you know be good right off the bat. And I'm like, well, you know, I, I figured as much. And so a bunch of my dad's buddies, I think, initially wanted just to kind of play a little joke on him and you know one of the guys is like well i've got a used transmission you know transmission that i'll uh that i'll sell you real cheap and another guy's like i got a bunch of wheels i'll sell you cheap and before you know it you start piecing a car together and i had a car ready to go to the racetrack and 
That's awesome. Went out, finished second, my very first race, and I think the third or fourth race after that, I ended up winning my first feature, and yeah, kind of things just kind of took off from there. That's awesome, man. I do like some dirt track racing, man. I there's a track in my hometown, um, Friday nights, you know, under the lights on the dirt track was always a fun time. It was usually semi late, <clears throat> late models, and then there was often a, either a pro stock or a hobby stock class would run, but my uh, favorites are, uh, you know, one of the things I try to make a point to do every year is go watch the uh, World of Outlaw Sprints because I love sprint car racing. That was the one thing my dad was big into in terms of racing. We watched a little bit of NASCAR growing up, but a lot of it was uh, World of Outlaw Sprints. Sure, yeah. Um, one of uh, one of my best friends, uh, a guy, Mike Marler, he's on the World of Outlaw uh, the dirt late model series. Okay, uh, yeah. He is currently sitting third in points right now. So I live, uh, I live my dirt racing vicariously through him now. Um, man, it's an expensive sport. It'll just yeah. drain you. I thought hunting was expensive. It's, um, to put it in terms of, uh, archery and bow hunting, it would be the equivalent of buying 200 new bows every single year yeah <laughs> it's expensive I mean, it's just insane and, and, and a risky proposition at the uh at the same at the same time i don't know if i could i don't know if i have the stones to do it man like it's uh to hurl yourself at that speed around a track with a bunch of other people hurling large metal objects around the track at the same time i just <laughs> yeah. well you know sure. it's one of my buddies i remember the like the best quote he ever gave me we were racing at a new track i had never been to before and it was um um the you know the pack crews were out there watering the track and they had some old school buses you know driving around the track you know packing it in and uh down south it's you know so much more clay and Mm -hmm. whatnot but we get out there and and he says come on let's go let's go take a ride so we jump on the four-wheeler and we ride around the track and he's just showing me different points you know this is you know this is your mark you want to turn here you want to turn here try to diamond it off and blah 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 and uh so we get back to turn one he goes all right so basically here's the deal he's like you drive that thing in so deep until you see jesus and then you turn left (laughs) and i'm like Oh, all right. Sweet. Gotcha. Gotcha. Great. You know, <laughs> great advice. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, man, and you know, 800, you know, 800 horsepower stock cars sliding sideways. That wall comes up on you pretty fast, you know? So, yeah. Um, it's a great time, man. It's a great, it's a great sport. Um, it's kind of like, you know what? There's a little nexus there with, uh, with hunting. Um, yeah. It used to be a more popular sport. And, tracks are closing down all over the country um not getting the local support and stuff but partly due the the sport has gotten so expensive so a lot of people can't afford to do it a lot of business owners are not sponsoring cars anymore yeah um and so people are getting out of it like i said all these local tracks are closing up and the the sport's kind of dying out a little bit you know and that could be the analogy for public lands or yeah. You know, going away, um, the hunting industry as a whole sales wise is not doing as good. So people aren't sponsoring and doing more things. And, um, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of similarities there. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no doubt. I mean, I definitely see it whenever I go back home, you know, that Friday night at the, uh, Bedford raceway was always, you know, pretty packed, you know, they still draw a, a, a decent crowd. You know, I think, you know, my hometown being as, uh, there's not a lot going on, I guess. Let's put it that way, right? On a 
late spring through summer, you know, evening on a Friday, you know, before high school football picks up and stuff like that. So it's really the only thing to do. So I think they kind of get by on that. But I have noticed they haven't run, I don't think, as many races. There's a lot more out-of-town races that come in. I, I have noticed that where it's like it used to almost be all local from what my memory serves. Now they have more, you know, I guess circuits that are coming through. Um, to try to draw some more people, and of course they have to pay out a bigger purse and stuff like that. But uh, but uh, we quickly turned this into a racing podcast. We're going to go ahead and shift gears, like what I, like like what I did there. The shift gears. Somebody flipping through is like, how'd I get on NASCAR Hub? What yeah, happened? Exactly, exactly. Turn left. Um, yeah. So, so shifting gears, uh, as as it were, to uh, some hunting related topics, man. So for one, we finally got a little bit of nice weather. It's nice and nice and warm today. And, uh, you know, I, I'm imagining the birds were probably, uh, chirping today. And I'm of course not in the, uh, in the woods. I went out this past weekend, the past two weekends, I took my daughter on a youth hunt. And of course it was uneventful. She was super stoked to go, man, but it just, we heard a bird off in the distance and just couldn't do anything with it. Um, you know, it was really too far away to really, really even try and then you know all the everything kind of shut down kind of early it seemed like and you know it was kind of cold that morning for that for that mentored youth hunt and uh and then she was ready to bug out of there you know a couple hours into the hunt so i try not to pressure her and have her stay longer than she wants to just so she doesn't think it's you know boring or or that it sucks or whatever i just want to make sure she stays excited about it and then um the last weekend was the opener for pennsylvania and I went out and I've, you know, I've been out twice and have yet to carry a gun. And I took, a, I know you and I talked about it a little bit. And I did a podcast with my buddy, Trevor, um, took him hunting for his first time ever. And so that was, uh, that was an experience, you know, it's, uh, it was cool. It was cool to watch someone kind of go have that all happen. Like for the, for the first time, again, we heard a bird way off in the distance, too far to play with, um, did have a hen that was kind of, you know, pecking around, you know, not too far away from us that we could hear. Um, but there was just, you know, nothing falling behind her. Um, and then he did get to see, you know, there was a, a fox that was kind of playing around where we were at. So we kind of watched him for a little while and stuff like that. But, you know, I was stoked that we didn't have a lot of action for him, but when we were leaving, he still was telling me how much fun he had and that his biggest takeaway, funny enough, was that he's like, people always say how quiet the woods are. He's like, but I've never been in the woods at dark. He's like, and then heard like the woods come alive. He's like, and man, he's like, it is anything but quiet. He's like, there's so much going on. And I was like, it's usually because when people are there, they're not paying attention to all the stuff around them, you know? Sure. So, yeah. You know, but, uh, he had a great time, man. I'm going to try to get him out hopefully at least one more time and see if I can't get him, you know, on a, on a bird, at least, a you know, at least, you know, see some, you know, hopefully a shot opportunity, but, you know, I'll settle for just getting birds in front of him. But man, I know you had a, you, you had a more successful, uh, turkey hunt than I, than I did. Tell me, I want you to, uh, Tell us a little bit about that. You were back in your home state of Kentucky, right? Yeah, man. Um, every I make it a point every year to go down there to Kentucky to spring turkey hunt, and um, I go to the same farm. A uh, good a good friend of mine he owns a, owns a really really big farm there, and um, he inv- he invites me back every year. Um, not an outfitter or anything like that, but uh, he treats me like I'm a I'm a guest at an outfitted lodge, you know what I mean? Right. So it's uh, it's super fun. And um, I hooked up with my buddy, Mike, who I used to hunt with a lot in Kentucky. He ran a camera for me a ton uh, back home. So it was nice to get to get to jump into a ground blind and, and catch up with him. But first day, we, we went to our, our honey hole. Uh, we have this one spot that's um, uh, a nice logging road that kind of comes up. Uh, it follows the peak of this ridge. And... Um, 
those birds come up out of the bottom and they work their way up the hill. They spot the decoy spread and they always come running in. I mean, it's like a foolproof thing. It's happened that way the last three years in a row. Wow. This year, um, we didn't hear nothing. We didn't see anything. You know, a few hens here and there, but no gobblers. And um, so we abandoned the spot. We went back to the cabin and we were hanging out. And the landowner, he's like, you know, I've been seeing some birds work across um, work across that, that wheat field uh, in the mornings. And, you know, deer, it, you never want to get in that situation where you're like, oh, yeah. The kid down the street said he saw, said his aunt's cousin's brother saw a bird over there. And, <laughs> right. you know, you go chasing after uh, an urban legend. But um, he's like, yeah, I've been seeing some birds over there, you know, pretty consistent. And he's like, uh, you guys ought to give that a shot. And I thought, yeah, what the heck? We got nothing to lose. And so there was an old barn um, up at the peak of this uh, this wheat field. And I told, uh, you know, Mike, I said, screw it, man. Let's just, you know, let's go up there. We, we were able to pull the pull the truck inside the barn, close the doors. Uh, the beauty of that is, is you can always stand up and stretch your legs, you know, whenever you want, but right. had a decoy spread set up, um, got the fly down, didn't see much, didn't hear much. You know, you get to that thing where you kind of start getting a little bit bored, you know, mm-hmm. hoping something. I said, yeah, let's just, let's just sit. Let's just sit till about 10 o'clock, you know, and see how it goes. Um, Mike had got up uh, to walk around, do a lap around the barn, or maybe use the restroom or something. But nonetheless, he says, I hear something going, psst, psst, mm. you know? Right. And I'm thinking, why not just say, John? <laughs> like, we're the only ones in here. Right. But uh, I look over my shoulder, and he's like, there's a ginormous Tom behind, you know, back there, and he's he's working this way. So I let out a couple of calls, and uh, we got back, uh, got in position. And what we had done, we just kind of cracked the doors uh, on the barn. Uh, <laughs> nice. I had about a eight inch sliver to shoot out of, and he had about an eight inch sliver to, to film out of. And, um, the coolest thing, and I, I hope I can explain this right. Uh, the, the long side of the barn, um, the barn has like inch and a half gaps in the boards and you really couldn't make out, uh, you couldn't identify, you know, the bird, other than the fact that there was a big round black blob that was crossing each one of those slits in the wood, you know, getting closer and closer and closer to us. It was super cool. Would have loved to have been able to film that, but, um, nice. yeah, he, uh, he broke the corner of the barn, saw the decoy spread, let out a big gobble and he had been quiet all morning long, hadn't gobbled. And I, I really think it was like a, a shock thing for him. You know, hmm. I think he came around the corner and saw the decoy spread and it was just, it was that, that was his shot gobble, but, um, he gobbled once and came in. Um, he actually, the sun was rising and it was, it was coming in through those openings in the barn door. Um, I was completely, you know, daylit all to heck. But uh, as I was starting to draw my bow, he he caught me, and and I watched his uh, his snood, man. I, I watched it go from like two and a half inches long to like a half inch long, you know. <laughs> right. And I'm like, oh boy, the the the, the you know the jive's up. He right. uh, he folded up and was starting to walk away, and I'm he. Uh, I love taking a shot from behind. Yeah. Like uh, when they're not in full strut. Um, with it with an arrow i i love it so he uh he presented that shot and 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 i 
sent one his direction. He kind of flip-flopped, acted like he wanted to fly, was struggling to fly. Um, and he wasn't running at full speed, but he, he was trying to get out of there. And I just, I dropped my bow and yeah, anybody that's bow hunted turkeys, um, more than a few times, um, you know, that sometimes with an arrow, they don't just tip over, uh, right. like a shotgun, you know, they don't, a lot of times they do like to, to run away. So he started to run and, um, you know, my, my tip for anybody that if this happens to, um, bail out of your blind or bail out of wherever you're at and chase them down. Like go, don't let them like a deer. Don't give them time to, to expire. Um, if they can't fly, then get on them like immediately. So I took off running after him and after about 50 yards, I finally caught up to him and, and he just tipped over and died, you know, but, um, my fear was that he was going to make it to the timber and bury himself under some downfall or, right. uh, you know, some leaves or something. And I was going to lose him, um, which I lost a bird in Iowa this year that way, yeah. um, ran off into the timber and we, we heard him flopping and we just, we thought he was done. You know, we, we thought he was flopping and, and we, we thought, okay, no need to go after him. You know, we heard him flopping. He's, he's gone. We had another big Tom in the field and we didn't want to booger him up too bad. So, uh, we waited for that Tom to kind of get over the hill where, where he's out of sight. And then we bailed out and went after him and he was gone, like nowhere to be found. We spent two or three hours trying to find this bird and couldn't find him. So that's my, that's my thing, man. Shoot the bow and then go after him, bail out immediately, you know, give chase. Dude, I, I, I'm um, hoping you have on film you running after the, after the turkey. We do. Yeah, yes. no, we do. Um, <laughs> he he filmed the whole thing. Um, he filmed he filmed me running across this cut cornfield, <laughs> and uh, then he he jumped out, and then he came he came running, and the camera's still rolling. You know, it's like the cops kind of uh, video <laughs> right. footage. You know, that's awesome. Um, but uh, so he comes running, and and he's like, you know, where's where's your bow? He's like, Are, you know, did you have to shoot him again? I was like, my bow's in the barn. He's like, why didn't you bring your bow? I'm like, well, I figure I could run faster with both hands pumping, you know what I mean? Right. And <laughs> one. So nice. um, I'm not as fast as I used to be. Right. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. anyways. Hear that. You know, so I had to, I had to run him down and, uh, but it worked out, man. It was cool. Got a, got a bird down. Um, pretty decent bird. Um, nice. Kentucky. He was, you know, 22 pounds, which is, uh, which is about par for the course uh, for that area. Uh, but he did have about 11 inch beard and, um, you know, he had like some inch and inch, inch and a quarter. And then the other one was inch and three, eight spurs. And, um, nice. but man, I tell you any Tom Turkey is a Boone and Crockett, every single one of them. Yeah. Yeah, man. I, I'm hoping, I'm hoping I get to, uh, get into a batch of them. I'm trying to, I think I might go out this, uh, this weekend. I know down at the, uh, the farm at the in-laws farm that I, do a little bit of deer hunting at. I know there's two ridges that they like to roost on. And so every year I usually hunt that opening opening day every year. And you'll at least hear and see turkeys, you know, close by, mm-hmm. whether or not they they work out, you know, whether whether or not it works out or not, you know, remains to be seen. But I don't know that I've ever gone an opening day turkey hunt down there that uh that action wasn't had. Um at least through, you know, someone who either myself or someone that I was hunting with. Um, but for whatever reason this, this year, man, I'm just striking out. What I keep telling myself is, is I'm striking out now and that's because my deer season is going to be epic. That's what I keep telling myself. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, 
I'm like, I'm swinging and missing now. I'm getting, I'm getting all my cuts in right now. And I'm like, it's, it's okay. <laughs> like the, the, the hunting gods are going to shine on me in October and November is what I tell myself. Yeah. But, well, you know, I've never killed a bird in the morning, like fly down off the roost, fly into my lap. I have never, ever in my life ever killed a bird, um, you know, at daybreak. So I don't know what's up with that. And I, I promise you, I've hunted way more mornings than I have afternoons, but right. I seem to always have my success, um, you know, after they've started to break away from their hens that mm-hmm. late morning right. uh, and even afternoon, early evening sets. Hmm. So can you hunt, can you hunt later in the, I guess you can hunt later in the afternoon in Kentucky because PA, like the first, I want to say like the first two weeks, I want to say of turkey season of gobbler, uh, spring gobbler is... I think you have to have it wrapped up by noon. I think it's the first two weeks, but you have to be done by noon, not a little uh-huh. by noon. Or no more yeah, hunting by noon. New York has something similar to that too, like 12 or 1 or something like that. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, it's, yeah, Kentucky and Iowa both, you can, you can chase, you can chase birds till dark. Man. Yeah. See, that would be, uh, that'd be nice, you know, because you can only have a, a small window to play, which makes it tough, you know. For me, it's like I contemplate driving back home to hunt the farm because I know there's birds there, but I'm like, man, it's a three-hour drive, and if I get there and, like, the birds aren't working, I drove three hours for nothing. So I usually end up going later in the season just because I can get the full day yeah. in, you know, to make it to make it kind of count. But I'm also kind of screwing myself at the same time because they're not quite as active as I get later into the season. So it's a little bit of, yeah, you know, yeah. six in one, half dozen in the other. But, you know, we'll and give it – Dude, we'll, I tell you, I'm horrible to hunt with, like um, – I'm all fired up <laughs> the next immediately after I shot this bird. I'm just like, I'm, I'm done. I'm like, all right, Mike, now we got to get you a bird, you know? Right. And, um, so we go into, get, get into the next setup and, and, uh, I, you know, I start calling a little bit and, you know, and typically when I'm out by myself, I, I've been told that I'm an aggressive caller, you know, I'll call like once every 15, 20 minutes, right. but I'll usually, you know, cut a little bit, I'll yelp a little bit and, you know, I'll throw some different things at them. Um, but when I'm the camera guy and I'm waiting on somebody else to get a bird in, I'm like, yeah, I know I just called two minutes ago, but I should probably call again. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I get bored to death, man. I, I know. I just sit there and eat all my snacks and call nonstop. <laughs> I know, dude. Once the snacks are gone, it's all kind of downhill after that. I did catch, I, like, it is. I, I kept, I caught, I'll pack a, I'll pack enough food to last me for two weeks, like yeah. in, uh, in Alaska. Yeah. And the sun will barely be up and I'll already be out of snacks. Yeah, exactly. That, man, I caught a, a hellacious nap on Saturday, man. Like, so we were at first when we started with my buddy Trevor out, it was me and Trevor on one tree because we were, you know, filming the stuff as well. So we were on one tree and we made, we brushed ourselves in, in a, you know, man-made blind. And then my buddy Wilson was, you know, off to like the side of us, um, a little bit behind us, you know, I guess off to my left, I guess it would be. And a little bit behind us and, and his buddy Alden came with us too. Alden can call like a madman too, man. That was like, that dude can call some turkeys. Like he sounds like a turkey. Like, you know, you hear, you hear guys call like mouth call and it's like, eh, it kind of sounds like a turkey. Right. Until you hear yeah. someone who calls who like legit sounds like a turkey as far as like their tone, their cadence, like just everything, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And that's, and that's him. And so, you know, those two sat together and Alden was there just in the morning. He's a, he's a butcher. And so his, his butcher shop opened up, you know, early in the morning. So he just came out for like the first couple hours. And, mm-hmm. uh, it was, uh, it, it, we, we started off sitting on the ground, Trevor and I on like just on pads or whatever. Right. And so I'm sitting on the ground 
and uh alden's you know pretty big in a turkey hunt like he travels all over the place to to hunt uh turkeys and his dad is too i guess and so he brought these like i don't know what you call them like i call them turkey chairs they're almost like lounge chairs you know what i mean like they're almost like old timer chairs and he had two of those and and wilson and he are both sitting in those and i'm like man those look pretty sweet and when he left he was just like hey you guys can hold on to these and use them the rest of the day while you hunt you know just you know wilson will give them back to me like later in the week or whatever dude those things are so freaking comfortable we got into like the last set because we moved a couple different times trying to find some birds on this property i sat down on this thing kind of kicked my head back dude out like a light wilson said at one point yeah. he, he tried to take a picture but at one point i was over there just like you know mouth wide open catching flies like <laughs> totally, yeah. totally gassed well, out i don't man. know what it is about turkey hunting because in deer season i can get up early yeah go sit in a stand for the morning climb out come to the house get in the office do work maybe go out for the afternoon you know the the evening sit and, and i'm fine now after doing that for a week or two weeks straight then you start getting fatigued but something about turkey hunting that i go sit in the morning and i come back to the house i'm just like a zombie mm-hmm. i'm yeah. like i need 15 energy drinks or i gotta sleep for like four hours before i'm ready to go back out again i don't know what the deal is yeah i don't know i think we it was well i guess on saturday it was it was pretty nice I, to me it's probably because it's a little bit warmer you know what I mean? So you you get to get a little bit, your body's a little bit more comfortable and relaxed probably because sure. it's the weather's a little nicer. For me, yep. you know, this past week, it's like I, I haven't carried a gun or a bow yet during turkey season. You know, what I mean? I've been filming or, you know, taking my daughter or whatever. Um, so for me, it's kind of like you know, I, there's no chance of me killing anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like I'm not on red alert. That and I think both yeah. of us are kind of the same way where it's like, deer hunting it's like i get geeked up about that 365 days a year so when it comes deer season yeah you know yeah. it's like i'm all chips are all in the middle of the table and ready to roll mm-hmm. where with turkey hunting you know and i think you know i've talked about this before it's like you know i'm 50 percent in like i like to go do it and and i enjoy you know i enjoy the hunt but it's more because it's like i, I haven't had a hunting season probably like in the past like you know however however many months sure. like, since deer season you know really ended or second archery season you know ended yeah and so it's if, the first time to really get out season happened to fall in the deer season i would never turkey hunt right yeah yeah exactly so for me it's like low pressure low stress and so i'm just kind of out there i'm like if i get something great if i see something awesome if i don't eh, i got to hang out in the woods for a couple hours and you know sure be in nature and then that's good enough for me but yep you know so well cool man I, I think you know we have a great guest on today you know it's funny because you know john and i actually recorded this this conversation um with cole tanner uh from ozonics uh, you know, earlier prior to doing this little upfront um and john and cole know one another but it took took us maybe 15 or 20 minutes to figure that out on the uh, <laughs> on the on the record so uh cole's a really cool dude um he works for ozonics he's the uh, product specialist you've probably seen youtube videos and just videos in general on the ozonics site with with him you know some of the information we dive into with him is you know little known fact is he was actually a, a big game guide so we talked to him about a lot of that from his experiences there and and how some of that translates into you know his job now in terms of uh ozonics but if uh i think i don't have anything else to add here man unless there's anything else you want to add i think we can go ahead and wrap this up and uh and get cole on yep sounds good all right cool before we uh before we dial cole up though let's take a quick second to talk about our partners that continue to help us make this podcast possible first and foremost we are brought to you by wicked tree gear the longest lastest fastest cutting toughest tree trimming equipment you have ever used simply put the toughest saws on earth how tough are they 
enough, tough enough to come with a lifetime warranty. And right now, when you visit WickedTreeGear.com, use the promo code TRUTH at checkout and get a 20% discount on your Wicked Tree Gear purchase. We're also brought to you by Exodus Outdoor Gear. The new Exodus Trek is a byproduct of all the consumer voices who have been excited about what Exodus truck cameras have to offer, but just can't fit a $200 camera in their budget, and that's all right. A budget-friendly camera backed by the industry's leading warranty is now here. The Trek comes in at $145, has the same proprietary shell design as the Lift Series camera, the same five-year warranty that you know and love, 0.7-second trigger speed, photo, video, time-lapse, and hybrid modes, all with a single-line backlit LED display for easy setup. You also get 20,000 images on one set of lithium batteries. If you'd like to learn more about the Exodus truck cameras, check them out at exodusoutdoorgear.com. And if you like what you see there, save yourself 20 bucks and use the promo code TRUTH at checkout. We're also brought to you by Tecamani Seed. Everything's bigger in Texas and better in Texas. So no matter if you're in the South, Midwest, or Northeast, Tecamani Seed has your food plot needs covered. Visit tecamani.com and check out their product selector tool to help pick the right seed for your needs. Use the promo code TRUTH at checkout and save 20%. And last but not least, Glacier Coolers, simply the world's finest. Whether you're hunting, camping, fishing, You'll enjoy smarter design, stronger construction, and superior insulation of Glacier Coolers. Visit them at GlacierCoolers.com. Use the promo code TRUTH and save yourself 20% cash. And now let's get Cole in the line. All right, folks, we are live. Welcome back. You are listening to another episode of the Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. And today we are joined by Cole Tanner. Some of you may have seen him on a few of the Ozonics videos. He is a uh, an, an ozonic specialist, if you will. He's got an interesting history in terms of working in the outdoor industry that we'll, we'll uh, of course, dive into. But first and foremost, how you doing, Cole? Good, man. How you doing? Doing all right, man. Not too bad. Uh, f- it seems like spring has finally sprung here on the uh, on the East Coast, so I'm 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 happy with that. How about you? Yeah. No. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. We've had uh, like I think yesterday was our first first day in the 60s. So yeah, we're just I've got a little bit of snow left in my yard, but uh, yeah, it's finally just about all gone. Yeah, I know. I can always tell when spring kind of breaks around here because I, I actually work in the city in, in Philadelphia, and everyone's always itching to uh, shed their clothes. So spring is always like a nice time for some uh, sidewalk gazing, if you will, in spring because everyone's willing to kind of just like de- <laughs> derobe in early early in the spring. You're, yeah, you of course. Yeah, see, I, I'm super. I'm super married, so I don't. Ever, I don't do any of that. <laughs> well, ever. Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, and the only I can only say this from. Uh, casual observation throwing my walk to and, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> to and from yeah, the train no, station just, yeah. <laughs> um yeah. but no yeah super excited to have you on man i know we've been trying to get this uh this schedule and i did a little bit of a i guess the, uh, shall we call it some some uh, internet stalking of you to try to you know find out a little bit more information about you and stuff but before we you know jump into some of the details if you wouldn't mind just give give the folks out there listening uh, a little bit about uh, a little bit of information about yourself your background where you're from and what you do for a living yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like I said, um, I'm originally, like I said, born and raised in Iowa. Um, I grew up in Belmont, Iowa, which is North central Iowa. Um, like I said, I live in uh, Clear Lake, Iowa now, which is just about a half hour North of there, right along, uh, I 35 in North central Iowa. Like I said, married three kids. Uh, my wife's name's Tatum. And then I've got three little kids, Mia, she's 11, um, Bo Daisy, she's four. And then Jet Kodiak, he's one and a half. So, Nice. Um, yeah, like I said, born and raised in Iowa and then kind of, and then have jumped around from there here and there, but yeah, yep. So nice. that's where I'm originally from here in Iowa. So you've, uh, you've had a lifetime of experiencing some, uh, some good whitetail hunting there in Iowa. I'd have to say I'm, I'm pretty jealous of that. 
Yeah, you know, what's funny is, is, yeah, you know, I guess, you know, growing up in Iowa, you kind of take it for granted, you know what I mean? Right. And and it's funny, I, I feel like as I travel with different consumer shows and, and even just talking on the phone and getting to, you know, talk to a lot of different people, I feel like non-residents know Iowa better than I do. And, you know what I mean? Like, so what zone are you from? Like, is that near Leon or where is that compared to this town? And I'm like, geez, I don't know. Right. So, yeah, it's just kind of funny. You just kind of get used to what you're used to, right? And I think a lot of people around here, they just kind of, ah, it is what it is. But, yeah, that's, it is. It's kind of God's country when it comes to whitetails. There's plenty of, uh, there's good ones around, I guess you could say. So, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty sweet. Right, yeah. John, I'm curious, man. Did you, like, did, were you more of an expert on Iowa, Iowa zones and so forth whenever you lived in Kentucky? Or do you feel like you're more versed now that you live in Iowa? Uh, definitely more versed now. I mean, that's, that's one of the things that I got asked a whole lot after the first season in Iowa, people said, you know, so what's the hunting like? Um, and obviously people knew that there was, you know, big bucks and potential for big bucks in Iowa, but the questions were more like, how, how do you hunt the deer? Do you hunt the deer differently in Iowa than, than you did in, in Kentucky? And that's what I've always said, you know, the big woods versus open ag fields, um, so the style is definitely different for me. You know, I only kind of knew the Southeast Iowa area, uh, area, um, you know, back from my days on a, on a previous web show and on, so Henry County, Mount Pleasant, Salem and, and that kind of area. And that's pretty much all I really knew. Um, but it's funny to hear Cole's comment because now that I live here, I'll bump into somebody in Vegas or something at shot show or whatever. And somebody's like, Oh, you're from Iowa. Do you know Jerry Smith? And I'm like, um, <laughs> yeah. no, does he, does, does he, does he live around Farmington? Well, he lives in Iowa somewhere. I just thought maybe you might know him. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. okay, there is a few more people in Iowa than what you think, you know? Yeah. Well, that's a funny thing. I think that as I like just getting to meet a lot of different people is this, I think when you hear people that are coming to Iowa, it's like, well, listen, like, I'm not going to shoot anything unless it's over 180. And I'm like, man, you know, it's like I've hunted Iowa my whole life. And I can tell you on a, on one hand, how many times I've seen bucks like that on the hoof, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you know, there's just, they're just, I think there's this perception because there's a lot of people that are out there shooting really, really awesome whitetails and more power to them. You know what I mean? It's awesome. Um, but they're just not right. There's just not right around every tree. You know what I mean? Like you just don't, they're hard to come by, you know what I mean? I think there's just kind of this misconception that you're going to come to Iowa and you're just going to just smoke an absolute giant. And guys do it, but, you know, I mean, I've, I don't know how many days, weeks, months, just myself or my buddies have spent in the woods and just, and never see bucks like that. So it just, I think it just really, when you see that stuff right now, it just makes you, for me, I, like I said, being from Iowa, when you see bucks getting shot like that, it's not easy to do. You know what I mean? They're hard to come by, you know, big, big deer like that. So it's pretty neat. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think of course, social media has a little bit to do with that, you know, in terms of, you know, making people, oh, think yeah. that there's a big deer around every corner and stuff like that. I'll be heading to Iowa for my first time, not this coming season, but the season after I should have the points to draw. So, and I, I'm definitely, I will say now I'm definitely not holding out for the 180 class. It's just the, if it's, if it's the biggest buck that I've ever personally seen that he's, I'm going to attempt to smoke him. That's my, that's kind of my standing rule. If it's, if it's bigger yeah. than one I have already, then, uh, he's, he's in trouble. But speaking of, uh, getting after big whitetails, man, how was your, uh, how was this past season for you? How was 2017? Do okay? Yeah. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. Like I said, sometimes 
um, hunting in the fall can get a little bit tough, right? Like I said, with what we do at Ozonics, we get really, really busy in the fall. But um, like I said, they all do a really good job of letting us all get out and uh, get time in the tree, like you said. So, um, yeah, I, I've actually, uh, this last year, I hunted a lot of public land, um, just kind of really more than anything, just kind of for fun. Like I said, I love whitetail hunting, but that's not, like, for me, I'm all about big game animals. So if I, you know, whitetail doesn't really 100% trip my trigger, I'd much rather do anything else really like any other type of big game animal so i ended up hunting a bunch of public land and uh yeah i shot a i shot a nice buck it was like a mid 130s um eight pointer which was kind of cool um which was it was actually really really cool deal because i had obviously i was running an ozonix hr 300 um had a buck this buck came in from geez forever i saw him trailing this doe um literally walked her right up to me the doe got 15 yards directly downwind, stood there for like five minutes as that buck was kind of lollygagging his way in. Um, and that doe had no idea I was there. If it wasn't for that doe and having, having no idea, I, you know, I would have never got a shot at that buck if it wasn't for having that Ozonics, right? So it was right. just a really, really cool deal how it all worked out. And it was kind of neat for me. This last year was the first time in, geez, like 12 years that I had um, shot a compound again. I'm actually... I really like shooting a recurve, and this last year I got a I got a Halon 32, and I shot that all this last fall, and uh, I shot that with a Halon 32, so that was kind of fun, something different. So, man, but yeah, it was I had a good year. It was really fun. Yeah, that's awesome. I might have to pick your brain about some of the public land stuff here at a, at a later date, man, because that's basically what I'm going to be doing when I come out is is hitting hitting the public lands. I do have a couple buddies who have some some access and stuff, you know, uh, on a couple different farms like they've uh, offered to let me on and so forth, but I'm just not sure if it's the if I'm going to be in the right zone or not depending on what zone I I put in for, so I might have to uh pick your brain for that. But it's interesting that you how many so I'm I'm just curious, man, using a recurve, how many how many nice deer have you harvested with a recurve? Um, you know, I shot a good buck years and years ago with my recurve um, God, it's funny cause I'm not a big score guy. Like when it comes to actually like going and getting bucks scored, right. um, he was probably in the like high one forties. It was a nice mainframe 12 or actually mainframe 11 with a sticker. Um, I shot that with my recurve in late December during the late muzzleloader season. Um, but you know, really for me with my recurve, it was always just kind of, if it's, if it's Brown, it's going down right type of deal. Right. Like if I have, if I had doe tags or if I had a buck tag, like I would always hold out for a nice buck, but I would end up you know, end up just kind of shooting, you know, whatever, you know what I mean? So, um, like I said, I, I hunted with that exclusively for right about 12 years. And then this last fall, I started hunting with a compound again, but, uh, I actually shot a turkey with my recurve last week, last Jeez. Tuesday, actually, I just was like, you know what, forget it. I'm taking this thing out. And I shot a, <laughs> I shot a, I'm with it last, last Tuesday, which was kind of fun. My buddy's like, you haven't picked that thing up forever. But for me, a recurve feels a lot more natural. I just, I, I feel like I'd done that for so long which I mean, 12 years isn't it like forever, but right. you know, it's, it's a while, you know what I mean? So I feel very natural and comfortable with it. Right. Um, but yeah, like I said, I've shot like a high one forties class buck with that recurve and then a whole pile of, geez, a whole pile of does. Um, and that was my big thing. Like I, especially these last probably five years, I really just like to try to shoot, even if it's a doe, I just like to try to shoot big mature does. You know what I mean? I just think they're just as much of a challenge yeah. as a big buck. You know what I mean? They're just, they're skiddy as all get out, you know? So um, yeah, it was fun. Yeah. I mean, you, you get that, yeah. that big lead doe, man. They're not, they're, I would say, especially whenever you hit that, you know, that rut time of year, they're, they're harder to kill in my opinion. I mean, they're not, they don't get, uh, 
love stupid if if you will you know what i mean they still got their their head about them to a degree and that you have to think about too i was i was just having this conversation with a buddy of mine i think it was last week where we were talking about hunting does and i was like if you think about it i was like they they don't get love stupid during that time of year i was like and part of you know every year essentially as long as they're bred i was like part of their you know you know dna or genetic makeup is to care for young and try to make sure that it doesn't get killed either you know what i mean i was like so it really has to be alert for two to a degree um so you know and how many times have you had deer come up on you and the reason you got busted was because the doe busted you and the buck didn't the buck had no clue you were there but the doe blew you know Um, right yeah no absolutely absolutely so i want to get in man i know at the beginning of this i had mentioned that i has uh, i was doing a little bit of um online stalking trying to you know learn a bit a little bit more about you that uh, i guess i'll say the man behind the beard on the ozonics videos um <laughs> yeah yeah and, uh, the man I, behind uh, the homeless guy behind the videos yeah, the homeless guy, right and i was <laughs> yeah. like i was like there's got to be more to, to him than just you know o- o- ozonics like he's got to be more than just the guy that i see on the video so i started digging in a little bit and I, I read that you did a lot of oh i won't say necessarily a lot i'll let you kind of you know determine how much or how, how little but that you uh, did some big game guiding in in a past life is that is that correct or my in my was my wiki page incorrect? <laughs> no, yeah, no, yeah. Like I said, I used to um, years ago. I um, worked for an outfitter out in Southern Colorado uh, and guided for like I said antelope in the late summer and then elk, mule deer, black bear. Um, you know, for archery and rifle. And then as we got into the winter, we did um, mountain lion stuff. And then in the springtime, we did Merriam turkeys. Um, yeah, so I did a lot of, like I said, I guided for just just over three years for while I was out there, and then I was also a, a cameraman during that time, so I got to travel kind of a little bit of everywhere all across North America when we weren't guiding and, and got to do a lot of videoing and stuff, so that was pretty fun. So yeah, I just got to... Uh, a lot of crazy experiences. Yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty killer. Wow, that's cool, man. So, how did you get into? It? How does one find themselves kind of like getting into the guiding work? How did that kind of happen? Yeah, no, you know, it's funny is as I was when I while I was guiding, and even now I get that question. I'm like, well, how do you? How did you get into that? And honestly, I have no idea. Like, <laughs> it was honestly kind of, you know, it's kind of one of those things where, and as like you know, as a young man, like I'm 33 now, but as like in my late, in my, you know, late teens, seriously, when I was like 17, 18 years old, 10, 12 years ago, like the hunting industry was a lot different than it was now. I mean, that sounds kind of funny, but it kind of was, you know what I mean? And I remember asking, going to the Iowa Deer Classic as like a late teenage man, a kid, 19 year old kid. And like asking people like, how do you get into this? How do you get into this? And, you know, I heard a lot of people tell me like, try to become a cameraman or like, if you love to hunt, become a hunting guide. And so as I went, like when I got into college and then life and different things, I might end up going back to school. You know, I kind of just, I had made up my mind. Like I was going to try to figure out a way to hunt for a living. That was my goal, which try to explain that to your future (laughs) father-in-law. Right. right? When he's like, so you're going to hunt for a living. Right. 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 So what does that look like? Well, how much do you make a living? How much do you make a year doing that? You know what I mean? I'm like, and I really had no idea. You know what I mean? Like I did. And I just knew that I, I loved the outdoors. I loved hunting. I loved to write. I loved to tell a story. And so I was just going to try to figure out a way to do that. And so I went to Iowa State and I was getting a journalism um, and environmental studies degree and just kind of was like, well, we'll just see what happens. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and actually, so I was at a community college before Iowa State. 
I actually had a college midterm, a college algebra midterm like that. It was a Wednesday night. I don't know why I remember that, but it was a Wednesday. <laughs> and before this college algebra midterm, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go down. There's an archery shop like 30, 40 minutes from there. I'm like, you know what? I got my recurve with me. I'm going to go down there and shoot. Like, I'm not going to get a better grade on this math test either way because I'm terrible at math. Right. So I'm like, forget <laughs> it. I'm going to go shoot my bow. So I drive down to this archery shop and this guy, his name was Dave Susung. He's got long hair, had a beard actually, but we get to talk and he had a Ted Nugent hat on. And, uh, he asked me, who do you like to watch on television? I said, Oh man. And this is actually back when Fred Eichler was trying to shoot the super slam. Okay. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh man, like I'm obsessed with Fred Eichler. Like I follow all this stuff. Like I know he's trying to shoot the super slam with a recurve. And the guy like flips out. He's like, you gotta be kidding me. He was like laughing. I'm like, what's so funny? And he's like, Fred Eichler's going to be at my shop tonight. Like he's going to be here tonight. Like he's in Iowa hunting. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. He's like, dude, you should stop by. And I'm like, man, I'd love to, but I've got this test. Like I can't miss it. It was like a three hour exam. You know what I mean? Right. So he's like, well, if he's, I'm like, if he's going to be here, you text me and I'll be here. So literally I'm like an hour into this exam and he texts me. And so I literally stand up in the middle of this test and just walk out of the room. Like I have an emergency. I have to leave. And the gal's <laughs> like, if you leave, like I'm going to give you an F, like you can't see the test and then take it later. You know what I mean? Right. And I'm like, whatever, I don't care. I need to leave. So I go there and I meet Fred Eichler. Right. And, uh, we talk for geez, like, and I, as you can see, I can about talk to a tree. Um, <laughs> so we kind of hit it off and one thing led to another. And I just about failed the college algebra class, seriously, um, before the end of the semester. But one thing led to another, and years, you know, fast forwarding, um, Fred was in Iowa again, and literally he just offered me a job. He's like, "Hey man, why don't you come out and guide for me and and run camera for me?" And it just kind of it just kind of worked out. You know what I mean? Like if I wouldn't have stopped by that archery shop that day, I would have never known he was in Iowa. I would have never met him. Like I would have never built that relationship with him. It just, I don't know. It was just kind of like being in the right place at the right time. And I just knew that deep down, I wanted to figure out a way to hunt for a living in whatever capacity that was. That was my passion. That is my passion. And so I just always really had that kind of focus, you know what I mean? And, mm -hmm. and one door has kind of opened to the next, I guess you could say. So it's been kind of a crazy, crazy deal. That's awesome, man. It's funny that you mentioned, you know, trying to explain to your future father-in-law that you're going to hunt for a living and that's how you're going to support. I had a it was a tear. And I'm just like, you know what? But it's I, like, and what I honestly told him, I was like, listen, like, I think sometimes you're like, oh, I don't know what I should do. And it's like, well, dude, what are you passionate about? Like, you, what are you passionate about? What do you have God-given talents? Like, what are your God-given talents and abilities? Like, and what are you passionate about? What do you love to do? my father-in-law of all people. And that's what actually kind of quieted him down is he had always told me, he said, Cole, you know, ask yourself every day, if you could do anything and know that you wouldn't fail, what would you do? And I said, I would hunt for a living. Right. Right. And so I'm like, Doug, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to hunt for a living. Like, and I don't know how I'm going to do it. And I don't care if I have to live in a box, like I'll do it. You know what I mean? Like, right. And it's just, you know, within reason, right. And I've got kids and a wife right. and responsibilities, but it's just, one of those things where that that's always been something that I've always really wanted to do. And it's just like, I feel like life's too short. You know what I mean? So you just have to, you have to, I mean, nobody's going to do it for you. You know what I mean? Right. You just got to kind so, of grab the bull by the horns. I had a similar experience where I was yeah. you know, growing up. I was a musician and, uh, had been with my wife for, you know, since we were kids and that was just what I was going to do. I, that's what I ended up doing for a long time before I kind of made a career change, but it's, I had a similar conversation where it was like, so you're gonna, you're going to play the guitar 
for a living. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Coming from like yeah. a small, you know, a small country town with one stoplight or whatever, where, you know, everyone does the same job and, you know, they, you know, they get out of high school and they go work, they either go to college or they work the, you know, the local factory that's there or they, or they go into a branch of the military or they go into logging or they have a family farm they're going to run. Like those are really your options, you know? And so when I was like, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and play the guitar for a living, you know? And it was, uh, it was met with some skepticism, but I managed to, I managed to make it happen, you know? So it's just a little bit of grit and a little bit of want to, and you know, you can make it happen or Fred Eichler showing up at a archery shop unbeknownst to you is also a nice, a nice kind of, uh, uh, you know, stroke of luck, if you will. But uh, I'm curious, yeah, man, yeah. with all your experiences, you know, guide and stuff like that, like, you know, just hunting in general, you know, I'm just curious, if, was there a, a guided hunt that you had done that was, I guess, like your favorite that you had ever led? Like, just like a really cool experience that you had that, you know, you weren't necessarily behind the bow or the gun or, or what have you, but it was someone that you were taking out, just a really cool experience. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny because I re- I had the outline right, and that was something that I did a lot of thinking about. Because I'm like, man, because it was funny. I I kept looking at the best experience and the worst experience, and it's funny because I don't ever feel like I really had a worst experience because right. I was hunting, right? Like it honestly didn't matter. Like as long as I was out there, like I loved it. Like it didn't matter if the guy was the guy or man or woman was nice or mean or whatever. Like I didn't really care. I just loved to be out there. Um, and when it comes to you know, the best experience, man, there's a bunch. I think the, honestly, I think the best experience for me looking back on it now is the friendships that I've, that I've, you know, that I've gained just from guys that men and women that I've guided and and people that I've met along the way. I have a good friend. Um, his name's Jim Weinman. He's from Wisconsin. I'm actually going to Alaska with him. Um, this fall, we're doing a self guide, Alaska Yukon moose hunt. I've got a buddy named Jonathan that lives in Cleveland um, that I still keep in contact with. I ran into a guy just today. His name's Ramsey Mills. He used to work for Cabela's. Now he works for Shields. And just like, you know, there's just so many people that I've met. I have some friends out in Pennsylvania. Um, his name's Zach Workman. He actually still guides on Colorado. His mom and dad, his mom and dad are Missy and Ed. Um, they're just people that like are lifelong friends, people that, you know, I feel like I could call and they would do anything for me. You know what I mean? So I feel like, that's probably the best experience just from guiding is just, honestly, it's, you know, you, you know, it's crazy how your mind works, right. And how you can remember such vivid moments, you know what I mean? And, and that stuff never goes away, but I feel like what I, what I grab onto most is like, if I was on my deathbed is that I know I've got these friends, right? Like these Mm -hmm. people that I know really care about me, like Jim, like Jonathan, like Zach, like Ed and Missy, those types of people that, that's just what I really cherish the most from all that, from that experience. Right. I mean, that's one thing John and I, we've talked about on the show in the past is just, you know, I think we bring it up every so often. Cause I think it's really, you know, something that if you, even if you are loosely connected to the outdoor industry, there's a lot of really, really cool, really good people. And, you know, this year was my first year at ATA and, um, you know, I got to meet a bunch of cool people that were there and it's just, I met them that one time there and John actually told me about this before you get, before we went he was like, this is your first time there. He's like, 
you'll see these guys, you know, you'll meet people at ATA. He was like, and then when you come back like years after, he's like, you'll see the same people. He's like, you might not talk to each other for, you know, damn near the entire year. He was like, but it'll be like, you've been talking to each other every week for the past 52 weeks. He's like, and that's just how he's like, that's just the environment. Um, which was, he was spot on because like, there's guys that I met while I was there that I still talk to, to the, you know, to today, you know, that I'll talk to like every couple of weeks, we'll get in touch with each other. Um, so the outdoor industry, whether it's, whether you're guiding, you're taking people out to hunt or you're, or you're, you know, or you work for a, a company like an Ozonics or like a Wicked or whatever the case might be. It's like the people you come in contact with those relationships, they end up lasting because we have so much in common for, you know, whether it's chasing whitetails or, you know, doing Western hunts or conservation or making sure that, you know, being concerned with, you know, hunter recruitment and making sure that the, you know, you know, deer herd is well taken care of for the future and stuff like that. We all have these common goals that I think kind of bond us. It makes it easy for us to get along and uh, continue to support each other, even though, even if we aren't, you know, closely connected by distance per se. So, yeah, no, dude, I, a hundred percent agree with that. I think that, yeah, that's one thing I think, as I, like I said, working out West and doing that. And then like I said, on this side of it now and whatever, you know what I mean? I feel like we all have to really stick together. And I think that there's a lot of camaraderie that everybody feels right. Like at some point it's still business and there's still, you know, it can still be what it is. But I think that at the end of the day, like I think everybody's starting to realize that we do a lot more good together than we do divided. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? And, yeah. and for every force, there's an equal and opposite force and there's forces out there trying to tear this all apart. You know what I mean? And so I think that everybody, I guess my experience is I think people, there's a camaraderie and there's that, like you said, that like-mindedness that we're all trying to move this ball forward, you know what I mean? And keep it going, you know what I'm saying? So, yeah, no, absolutely. Nice. So I know I wanted to ask, you know, so I'll ask two and two and one essentially, or we we can separate them if we want to. But the one question I wanted to ask you was just, I'm always curious, you know, especially when you're guiding, you're out West, like the weather can change on a, on a dime, it seems like. And it's easy, I guess, to get caught out in some, some kind of nasty weather. So I'm just curious, what are some of the harshest conditions that you've ever encountered on a hunt guided or just on your own? Yeah. Yeah. The harshest conditions that I've ever experienced on a hunt. Um, it was actually on a, when I was running camera for Fred, we did a, uh, we did a British Columbia wolf hunt and, um, it was 40 below air temperature, um, which 40 below is where Fahrenheit and Celsius meet (laughs) is 40 below. Um, and we were on, we were on snowmobiles at 40 below. Um, and it was, it was unbelievably cold. It was crazy because I brought this awesome, nice Sony camera. And literally like two minutes into the hunt, it completely froze up like sensor, everything done. <laughs> like we videoed the whole hunt on this little Sony handy cam that cost like 175 bucks at Walmart. Like I just picked it up right before we left. I'm like, well, if we need a backup, if something happens, you know what I mean? Right. And we literally filmed the whole hunt on that little camera, but that was definitely the worst conditions was 40 below air temp. Um, literally I had on, when we got off, when we got off the airplane and we we're in the airport terminal, Fred's like, put all your clothes on. And I'm like, what? And he's like, put on everything that you brought. And I literally put on everything. Like I had like three pairs of underwear. Like I had on everything. Like I had like dress clothes for like, cause we were going to a, sh- a consumer show after that. And, in, in Yorkton, Saskatchewan, I had on everything, like everything that I brought, it was, it was unbelievably cold, like no way to stay warm. And the, the last day we were there, it got up to zero and it, it felt like a heat wave. Like we were just like, we had on like one layer. It was, it was unbelievable what your body can adjust to, you know, but 
that was definitely the harshest conditions was at 40 below Fahrenheit. So pretty wild. That's insane. How do you even keep camera gear and stuff working you, at that temperature? Dude, you know what's you know what's funny about that is is we literally that was the hardest thing is just trying to keep battery charged because we were way out in the middle of nowhere. So we had I just had what I had for batteries. So we were like I'm trying to keep them like up against my body, trying to keep them warm, and then putting the batteries in the camera, taking doing some B-roll, getting the clips that we needed, and then taking it back out and trying to keep them warm. Um, the crazy thing was is we sat in a blind one of the afternoons and uh, the guide, he kept, we had to walk in like, geez, it was forever to get into this spot. And he kept checking our back. And I'm like, I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Like he kept having us lean forward. And I'm like, what are you doing, man? Hmm. And he's like, I'm checking for frost. And I'm like, frost, like, what are you talking about? And it was interesting because when you get that cold, like we were walking in, well, you get all warmed up, right? Right. Well, that cold, your body is trying to push out heat to try to keep yourself warm. Well, that heat evaporates. Well, what can happen is, is over the course of time, that moisture, right, it'll start to freeze. And if you get frost on your back, that means it's time to go because then your clothes aren't doing anything. There's no, there's no airspace in there, right? It's all wet. You know what I mean? And so he kept checking our backs for frost. And my back got frost on it. And he he's like, okay, time to go. And I'm like, dude, Steve, we're fine. Like, what do you mean? He's like, no, dude, you got frost on your back. Like, we're leaving right now. <laughs> and I had no idea. And he's like, yeah, he's like, that's how people get hypothermia. Like, you don't, you don't even understand. Like, we need to go now, you know? So wow. um, that was pretty wild. Like, I'd never experienced that before. Um, and it's funny now, like, being in Iowa every once in a while, we get real cold days. And if you got a, you know, you're, you know, you're trailing a deer, you're with a buddy, and I'll look at my friends, and then you'll see where you'll kind of just start to see that frost. But we're not sitting, right? We're, like, right. moving, so it's not like it's gonna, we're heading back towards the truck. But it's just something that I had never even really thought about, and that's just something that those guys deal with all the time. So that was pretty uh, That was pretty pretty crazy. That's crazy. John, how about you, man? Whenever you're out in super cool, I know you hunt, hunt some pretty cold conditions. Well, I mean, you know, for... For the lower 48, if you will, um, the the temps got pretty nasty cold. Especially, I know out by you guys, you had some pretty nasty cold snaps. And I know John, you were out hunting some of that. How do you how do you manage the uh, the gear in the cold weather like that? Um, well, just like what Cole was saying, for me, my uh, my body definitely starts to get adjusted, and mm-hmm. um, you know, it's definitely a little colder in Iowa than what it was, you know, in Northern Kentucky, but. You know, as the season goes on, it continues to get colder and colder. I can usually kind of keep up with it. And and Cole and and yourself, uh, I'm sure you guys can relate. You know, you get into January and you've been bundled up so much that you find yourself like running out to the truck real fast in the driveway and just a t-shirt. And you're like, you know what? It really wasn't that bad. You know. <laughs> yeah. Um. So you, I mean, you do start getting used to it. But um, I had a lot of experience uh, with snowboarding. Um, when I was younger. So I learned, um, I learned the skier snowboarder way to layer clothes. And, um, you know, back in the day, there wasn't any companies out there doing it. Now you got companies like, you know, Sitka and stuff that, you know, kind of preach the systems and the layering systems and stuff like that. So that's, that's my go-to is making sure I stay layered. Um, but I'm not above it. If once my feet and my hands are like done and I've got like the, the thigh shakes going on, yeah, it's time to pack it up. Yeah. The hardest part for me is actually keeping my feet warm, man. I can't seem to ever keep my feet yeah. warm. Like most everything else on me stays pretty good, but my feet, there were a couple times in the stand this year where my feet, they actually got to the point that they hurt. 
And I actually had a little bit of concern, like where I was like, am I actually gonna be able to get out of my tree stand without falling out of it? Cause I can't feel my feet any longer and they hurt so bad. Like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to feel the, feel my steps getting out. And so, but, uh, yeah, the cold's no, no joke, man. That the, the old, uh, frost on the back trick. That's a, uh, that's a new one for me, man. I'm going to have to keep that one in, in, in mind. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. It is. Well, you know, and also like, uh, out in Montana this past, uh, September, first week of September, um, it was really, really, really hot. Um, but you know, it's so windy. So typically, you know, when you're really hot because you're sweating and you can feel yourself sweating or see it or whatever, but because it was so windy, you don't really realize, but you're still losing, you know, moisture. And I remember the first night we got in the tents and I didn't drink a lot of water because I didn't sweat. So I don't need to drink water. Right. And I'm sitting there in, in my tent and I remember um, trying to kind of like roll over and tuck my knees in. And next thing I know, like my ankles are buried in my butt. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Hamstrings drawn up tight. I'm like, oh, crap. Oh, crap. This isn't good. So I usually, the heat doesn't bother me except for, um, you know, muscle cramps and stuff like that. Yeah. No, I hear you. Yeah, dude, it's, this is this is totally off subject, but I just realized this is John from Wicked Tree Saw. This is a... This John, John, right? Yeah, yeah. Dude, that's so funny, dude. I just have to say, so I always get a kick because I see John all the time because he's on our civil reel, and the most epic <laughs> video that we've ever gotten that people just light up about is uh, a piece of video that John shot um, with a, a doe or a little a little uh, young buck directly downwind, turns those onyx off, Dude, that's so funny. I didn't. I'm sorry, dude. I completely didn't realize it was you. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> like, well, I don't so know when you say "wicked tree saws," I was like, "Oh!" And then I hear you talking. I'm like, "Dude, this is John." <laughs> yeah. Well, whenever he said Cole, and that's why I was like, his voice sounds familiar. I'm like, Cole, what's your last name? And I'm like, and I, I actually, he, okay, we'll we'll put the curtain down. I sent Clint a message, and I'm like, I think I know this guy, and there's probably a chance yeah. that he knows me just from the promo, those promo videos, you know. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's so funny. I'm sorry, I didn't even put two and two together See, at I, first. I figured you guys would have just known each other because you're from Iowa, and everyone in Iowa knows each other. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. right. That, like, totally, that totally throws everything off, but <laughs> I just had to say that. That's that's, that's too funny. That's awesome. <laughs> so... Not to not that uh not not to break up the uh the uh the rekindling of the relationship here, yeah. the bromance here, but yeah, romance, yeah. So I'm just I'm curious, man. Like we had the 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 frost on the back, the super cold deal. Well, first question is, did you did you get a wolf? Did you complete the the hunt? No, we no we didn't. That was the crazy thing. No, we didn't see. We saw a lot of wolf tracks, and we were on wolves, but we never got one. No, we actually. We were there for it was like five or seven days, and we shot a we shot one coyote while we were there. Um, it was actually it was kind of bittersweet. We actually got to do a uh, the next winter we did a wolf hunt in Northwest Ontario, actually just south of Thunder Bay, almost in the like in the boundary waters um, of Ontario, and we shot a wolf there. That was pretty cool. But yeah, so it, it all worked out. But uh, yeah, on that on that hunt we just shot a coyote. So yeah, but it was still super fun. Nice. So any uh, any oh shit experiences, right? Because imagine someone who's guiding, kind of you know, out in the more of the wilderness type of type of hunts. You know what I mean? It, I'm sure some some things have maybe gone sideways in a hunt where you were kind of like, man, this is this is this is going from bad to worse real quick. Um, just curious if you yeah. have any of those. Yeah, you know what's funny is is you know, like I said, I always joked, and this was told to me, and then I always just kind of we always joked 
as you know amongst ourselves when you guide you're never scared and you're never lost right right so in the heat of the moment you always try to kind of downplay everything because you don't want to freak a guy out you know what i mean right um but yeah like i said a couple times where i was pretty turned around and i'm like i don't know where the heck we are um which you know that was kind of fun but then um i had a couple times where you know some black bears got kind of hairy on us that you know, like had a, a rifle elk hunter and I'm like, okay, man, like you need to put your gun that way. And there's a bear like super close where it was like popping its teeth at us and just not happy, like right. way inside of the comfort zone. You know what I mean? But, um, the real, oh crap moment for me that always comes to mind is actually it was another guy. It was a, it was a videoed hunt. I'll just say it was in Canada. Um, I was black bear hunting and grizzly bear hunting and we were trying to mouth call black bears. Mm-hmm. And, um, the guide, so the whole idea is we were trying to mouth call black bears and get these bears to charge us. Right. And to trying to shoot them at like point blank range, right? Like they come right in the spring, these bears come out of hibernation and they, they're hungry. Right. And so you use like really just about anything like rabbit in distress, whatever. And these bears come charging off these two tracks and they just come running right into you. And we were trying to get them like super close and getting some just crazy video and, Fred was shooting a 4570. The guide was shooting a 4570. Um, and they were the back. I mean, he was the, the guy was the backup. Fred was the hunter. Well, as a cameraman, I didn't have anything on me. I mean, I'm just holding a camera. Right. right. And Fred's like, don't worry, man. Like literally that bear's going to have to get through me before it'll get to you. Like, don't worry. So I'm putting a lot of trust in them. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Um, and Fred had shot his two bears. Well, the guide had a, had a bear tag. So, of course, we're still out trying to see if we can get a, the guy to bear and get it on camera. So we find this great big boar on this bend in this road. We stock up on it, um, get set up. The, the, the guide is right in front of me. I'm with the camera behind. Fred's back at the truck, you know what I mean? And this bear, hears mouth call, and the big bear, and it's like, you know what? I'm not going to run, and I'm just going to kind of stroll in. So it turns and walks towards us, you know, 40 yards, 30 yards, 20 yards, 15 yards, and I'm like, whenever you're ready, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like time to shoot. You know what I mean? Like this is, this is getting, I mean, the bear was like, I'm bigger than you. You know, I'm not, I'm not scared. Right. Um, 10 yards and the guy goes to shoot and that it was a Marlin 45, a lever action, 45, 70 had a double safety and he didn't realize that it had a double safety oh, man. and he goes to shoot and it just goes click. He cocks it again, click, cocks it again, click. Jeez. Right. And here I am, like, and this bear's, like, 10 yards away, like, like, he's not happy. You know what I mean? Right. And so, literally, I just stood up and tried to make myself look big, like, and I just talked to it, like, hey, man, you need to get out of here. You know what I mean? Right. And we start backing out of there. So, here, the whole time, this guy had been backing us up, and he didn't realize that his gun had a double safety. So, if we ever would have got in a really sketchy situation, it definitely, he wouldn't have been any help. It would have just been a club, more or less. Right. You know what I mean? Um, so that was all of a sudden just kind of a rush of emotion of, wow, like here we are in British Columbia. Sorry. I'm trying to tell my, my wife that it's going to be totally fine. No big deal. If a grizzly bear charges us like, you know, Fred and the guy will shoot it. And here I was just, I was really counting on Fred to shoot it. You know what I mean? So that was kind of a sketchy deal. The guy felt really, really bad, obviously. Um, but, uh, that was just kind of one of those things where it was like, wow, that could have, if that didn't work out the way it did, that could have gone way differently. You know yeah, what I mean? So that could have been bad. Well, it's like, um, Adam, yeah, it's like, Adam, it's like Adam Greentree this year, whenever he was doing that, uh, 
I forget how long he was out, but he was, you know, traveling and, and hunting basically by himself for like, I forget what it was like 60 days, 90 days. I don't remember exactly how many days it was. Um, and he had a couple of different grizzly bear encounters and got bluff charged a couple of times. And there was one video in particular, and he was on Joe Rogan talking about it where he was, you know, you've probably seen the video where his gun was kind of shaking out in front of him as this, you know, grizzly was approached him. And then whenever he got back to like a town where he was going to like re up his supplies, he realized that his gun was actually, I forget what it was. He either had the wrong ammo and the gun was jammed or something like that, where it wasn't going to go off regardless. So he basically just had like, you know, a, he basically had like a, like you said, like a club <laughs> as a defense for like, <laughs> yeah. for like the better part of 30 days and didn't realize it. <laughs> isn't but, that, isn't that something? Yeah. That's just wild. Yeah, man. man. It's, it, it gets kind of hairy, man. It's the, yeah, I had a similar experience to that in Alaska. I was hunting uh, black bear with my dad on a it was Ketchikan Island and uh not Ketchikan Island, Prince of Wales Island and uh we uh we were hunting this you know stream bottom the salmon salmon were running and uh we were sitting there for a couple hours and all of a sudden I saw these things moving in in the brush and I was just kind of sitting watching and they were popped out and it was two cubs and I was watching them and they were a little further away you know not it was probably pretty stupid they were probably closer than than they needed to be I probably should have scared them off much earlier but I sat there and was just watching them and then all of a sudden, I didn't even notice, but all of a sudden, this out of the corner of my eye, I see this black thing kind of moving. And I was like, man, what's that? I thought maybe it was another cub. Popped out. Mama bear comes strolling up. She was probably about 15 yards away. The cubs are standing there. They finally all see me, right? I'm just like, oh, you got to be kidding me. The cubs run up a tree, and she gets up on her back legs, and she's, you know, making noises with her, you know, paws up. And, you know, the whole, like, the classic scary bear picture, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. And I'd ba- <laughs> yeah, I had my gun and was ready, to, was ready to shoot if I needed to, but I didn't, you know, I of course didn't want to, you know, so I just put my hands up in the air and just kind of, like you said, made myself big and started yelling, Hey bear, get out of here. The cubs jumped out of the tree and took off running away. And once she noticed that they were gone, she just turned around and left. And I was just, my dad and I just kind of looked at each other and I was like, yeah, I think I'm ready to be done for the day. I was like, I'm good. I was like, we can go ahead and go back. To the, <laughs> we can go ahead and walk back to the truck. I'm done. So isn't that something? Yeah, that's wild. Yeah, it's a it, nothing like nothing like Mother Nature to make you feel small real quick. You know what I mean? That, that's for uh, that's for sure. But uh, so I'm curious, yeah, man. So- you know, with all the guiding stuff that you did, you know, how did you transition from doing all of that into now being the product specialist for Ozonics? Like, how do you make that transition? Like, how how does one do that? Before we continue our conversation, let's talk about Wicked Tree Gear saws. Hardcore deer hunters need tools that can keep up. We don't baby our gear, taking on whatever Mother Nature happens to dish out. Check out Wicked Tree Gear hand saws and pull saws at wickedtreegear.com. Use promo code TRUTH to save yourself 20% on your next purchase with free ground shipping. And get a saw that's tough enough to work as hard as you hunt. Yeah, no, and that's, you know, the interesting thing that I, I like I said, it really comes back to, again, just kind of being in the right place at the right time. I, um, while I was guiding, um, the owner of Ozonics, guy named Scott Elrod, um, actually came out on an elk hunt. Um, and it was interesting at the time Ozonics was Scott and Ozonics was looking to try to sponsor Easton bow hunting and predator nation. Well, it was interesting. Like when all these, when different manufacturers would come, a lot of times they would want to talk to me, right. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and be around, the cameraman, right. They kind of felt like they were going to get the skinny or, you know, they would, right. you know, whatever, you know what I mean? We would just kind of, I would end up guiding them on it, whether, whether it was a, an antelope pond or an elk hunt or a black bear or whatever. And so I'm spending a week with Scott. Right. And, uh, as he, when he got there on this hunt, you know, I always, we kind of, you know, we always kind of go over this and that about the, how the hunt's going to go. Um, 
and I always kind of joke there was only really two rules when I guided. You, you know, don't guide the guide, right? Because you mm-hmm. came on a guided hunt, right? Right. And and don't walk like an elephant. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Like you would think walking quietly would be a pretty mandatory thing, but you wouldn't like it's. A, I guess it is what it is. Like I'm hypersensitive to walking quietly because you just it just helps. You know what I mean? Um, and so Scott's like, well, listen, man, like I understand not to guide the guide, but there's kind of certain things I want to do. And I'm like, okay, you know, and he's like, well, I really want to go right at these elk. Like, I don't want to care about the wind. And I'm like, well, it doesn't really work that way. You know what I mean? Right. Like, you know, I know you brought these ozonics and you want to try this and that's cool. But like, you know, we just don't like go right at them. Like it's a cat and mouse game, dude, especially if we're going to be trying to call them. Like we're trying to play the wind and just position ourselves accordingly. When he circles down wind, put ourselves in a broadside situation where we can get a shot. You know what I mean? Right. And he's like, well, I don't want to do any of that. You know? So literally I'm like, all right, man, like it's your hunt. You know what I mean? So, but it was interesting because for literally the next week he was there, he flipped my world upside down. No pun intended, but I mean, literally we just, we did everything that we shouldn't have done and it worked. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> we were going at bulls in ways that we should have never gone at them and we weren't getting busted. Like we were moving in on elk, you know, whatever it was getting in, getting in the midst of cows and they just weren't boogering. Like it was the craziest thing, but the last day of his hunt, we were sitting on the side of a hill just mid morning. And I started talking to him about Ozonics, you know, I'm like, so where's literally, I'm just like, where's they, where's Ozonics made at? You know, I figured it was all made in China. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Um, and it was funny cause he's like, well, it's actually made in, in the U S I'm like, really? I'm like where at in the U S he's like, well, it's actually made in Iowa. <laughs> I'm like, really? I'm like, dude, I'm from Iowa, you know? Right. And he's, I'm like, well, what, what part of Iowa? Well, dude, here. It was being, at the time it was made, whatever, how many years ago, it was in Clear Lake. Well, dude, I lived in Clear Lake. Here had been in Clear Lake for like six years, and I never even knew it. Wow. You know what I mean? So I'm looking at Scott. I'm like, dude, you've got to be kidding me. Like, it's in Clear Lake, Iowa. I'm like, Clear Lake, Iowa, right by Mesa City, North Central Iowa. He's like, yeah, man. And uh, so, yeah, like that really, you know, hit off our friendship and our relationship. And then, you know, fast forward, geez, how many years? Um, you know, we just kind of kept in contact and if he was in, you know, Mesa city, the area, we would, we would kind of hook up for lunch or supper. And then we always just kind of kept in contact. And then you, like I said, in the summer of 2000, yeah, June of 2016, he approached me, you know, said, Hey man, um, you know, I know you're not guiding in video anymore. I want you to come work for me, you know? So, um, like I said, it just kind of is all just kind of worked out. You know what I mean? It's been kind of a crazy a crazy deal for sure. That's awesome, man. How, so how was he, so I assume he had a, a unit with him when he was out there, uh, when you were guiding him, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was kind so, of crazy. Like we were running, that was, we were running HR 200s back then and we were using, he had makeshift kinetic packs at the time that weren't even like, they were like, I was like sworn to secrecy, right? Like right. he had these bags and we were trying to strap these things on our backs. And I'm like, dude, Oh my gosh, you gotta be kidding me. But it was the craziest thing. Cause it worked. You know what I mean? And, right. and they were, and like I said, they were original HR 200s, right? Which are putting out 45. Well, geez, those ones were putting out like 75% less than the HR 300s now. Right. So right. it was just crazy. Even with those units, just to see what we were doing um, and how we were moving at those. Oh, and that was the biggest thing when he left. I'm like, so can I like figure out a way that you can like leave these here? You know what I mean? Cause I was like, dude, I'm hunting with these like every single day the rest of the season. Right. And that was a really cool thing after I worked, after he came getting to use those onyx, like I said, not only on elk, mule deer, black bear, you know, and then getting to take it on different hunts, you know, across North America it was just really, really neat to see what 
it could do. You know what I mean? It was just really, really something. Right, and, that, and that's the next thing I kind of wanted to ask you is, you know, with, you know, what type of things did you learn or experience while you were guiding that you think helps you the most in your role with Ozonics? Not just understanding how it works, but how the hunter should should or could apply it. Yeah, no, that's a great question. I feel like the the biggest thing for me is I feel like, you know, when I you know when I was a young man, I when I started hunting with a recurve, I felt like it was a recurve or nothing. You know what I mean? Like I'm like, oh, I got to shoot a recurve or nothing. And as I guided and I got to see guys, men and women, come with a recurve, a compound, a crossbow, a rifle, a muzzle loader, air guns, ARs. I mean, a little bit of everything, right? Like, and to see people's excitement and the fact of as a guide, especially like my job was to try to get a client an opportunity. Right. Mm -hmm. And we were, I was using as many tools as I could to try to give myself opportunity, right. To give my clients opportunity. And for me, when I started using an ozonics, I was like, Oh my gosh, because I could do everything right. And that's, I couldn't beat that animal's nose. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's times that I still can't. Right. But I, for me, when I was guiding and getting to use Ozonics, it just all of a sudden it opened up this entire new realm of opportunity and just gave me more opportunity because I could, in certain situations, I could get past animals those where I never could before. And like you said, so I feel like that's really, you know, if that makes any sense, that's what really, really opened my eyes to. And it just, like you said, just a lot of different experiences. And I think too, getting to kind of see the different, different sides of the business, right. Not only from being a guide, but just being a just being a young man that liked to go and watch and go to the consumer shows and like to watch hunting, you know, outdoor television and then getting to be a cameraman and be a hunting guide, but then see the other side of it and and you know, interact and work with manufacturers and then to go onto the manufacturing side, I felt like it's just kind of a mixing pot of a lot of different experiences that I think because I think that we as hunters, we all dude, I always kinda of joke it's there's two I wanna I wish those honest to do an ad. With, a, with an up arrow and a down arrow. Because we're all trying to do the same thing. We're trying to put deer on the wall and meat in the freezer, right? Yep. Up, pointing at the wall, down, pointing at the freezer. That's what we're all trying to do. We're all trying to out there. We're just trying to be successful. We're trying to have a great adventure. And I felt like guiding and doing what I was doing just really honed my skill when it, come, when it came to that. And just really having the opportunity to talk to people and tell a story and and I can, I feel like I can really relate because I've been there, you know what I mean? Myself, you know? So I think one of the, interesting if that makes things, any sense. No, it totally does. I think one of the interesting things that you mentioned there was that you know, giving people opportunity, right? Cause I think, you know, <clears throat> I can speak from my experience and I think from, from John's experience, you know, too, even though John works in the outdoor industry and, you know, I don't necessarily, I don't work in the outdoor industry full time. It's, you know, I, I run a podcast, but outside of that, I work in marketing and advertising, um, you know, so I have a limited amount of time that I can go out to hunt, you know, so even though I have, Absolutely. I have a generous amount of vacation time and I'm, and I'm thankful for it. And I do get to spend more time in the timber than probably a lot of people do. And I'm thankful for that. However, it doesn't necessarily always equate to like the fact that I'm going to be successful. Cause you know, it's not, you know, sometimes the chips just don't fall where, where you would like them to, you know, for example, you know, this year was a great example. I had a target deer that I was hunting on a private property that, uh, that family owns, but it gets hunted really hard in the fall, right? It's there's a lot of folks that hunt it, and so I I typically know that if I'm going to make hay on that property, I have to do it in the early season because by the time rut rolls around or, or pre-rut rut rolls around, and you know it's pretty much done. Late season, there's some opportunity because no one really hunts it when the weather gets bad because they're you know they 
they don't hunt they don't like to hunt bad weather um which is the only other opportunity and so we had a cold front on that opening saturday of archery season i had a target deer that i'd watched for two years this would have been the third year that i watched him and i did the first uh set for him during that cold front on an evening set because i figured out where he was betting and i figured out what basically i figured out what his pattern was I, I narrowed his core area down and like i thought he would he came through he came through with a group of deer though which i didn't kind of anticipate because i figured they wouldn't be bachelored up any longer and they still were um a young buck walked right underneath my tree stand my target buck was about 30 yards away behind some brush on the come and that uh, that young that young buck that spike stopped under my tree stand because the wind shifted a little bit he didn't like he didn't blow out of there and just and, and like tear out of there like like he was like he like I guess busted me. He just something was wasn't right. You know what I mean? And he turned and he walked walked away and my target deer followed him. Now, if I had if if Pennsylvania at that point, you know, of course wasn't legal for Ozonics at that point, but had it been legal, I feel like that probably would have bought me the five yards of opportunity that I needed <laughs> to get my shot. You know what I mean? Uh, Cause that'll be the third right. or fourth time that that deer gave me a slip on that same Ridge in two consecutive years. Um, and so that's, I think the important thing is that it provides people opportunity. And when we talk about maybe new hunters that are trying to have, you know, successful hunts that maybe don't know how to play the game as well. You know what I mean? It's like what keeps them coming back to the woods is, is getting opportunities, right? If someone just goes and sits in a tree stand all day and doesn't see anything and doesn't ever get an opportunity, that's not a lot of fun for them. You know, it's kind of like I equate it to when I take my daughter hunting. It's like, it's got to be interactive and fun. Otherwise she's not going to want to continue to do it, you know? And so it's giving people the tools to give them the opportunities to enjoy the hunt the way they want to enjoy the hunt. So we continue to have hunters that are engaged and continue to have license sales to, you know, help, with the the litany of things that those those dollars go toward in terms of state agencies and stuff like that, so I think it's important just to kind of note that that you know tool is really something that can provide people a lot of opportunity that otherwise might not have it. Yeah, absolutely, and I and I feel like that really applies because, like I said, for me at Ozonics, getting to talk to men and women at every stage, right mm-hmm. from a from a young man or woman that's just getting into it to the guy that's hunted before I was born. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you know yeah. you know. I feel like, and I say this a lot, is is we all as hunters, we can do everything right. You know what I mean? We can have the right stand on the right day, on the right wind, and do everything right. And if that animal gets downwind, the majority of the time, we know what's going to happen, right? That animal is going to bust us, right? Yeah. And, and what I feel like for me is what I've experienced, just what you just talk, talked about, for me, just like in, with that deer that I shot this year, that ozonics above my head allowed me to get in a position where that doe that was downwind, I didn't alter her behavior, right? If I didn't have an ozonics and she gets downwind, she gets spooky, right? She gives me the head bob dance. She does the, she's stopping, she's looking, right? And I'm changing her behavior, right? And that buck, he would have never came in because he's watching her like a hawk, you know what I mean? Right. But when I put ozone, when I put ozone above my head with an ozonics, all of a sudden I'm altering that, that deer's behavior. Like she doesn't, she does, she acts just the same as if I wasn't there. Right. And all of a sudden that buck, he doesn't think anything any different and walks right in. You know what I mean? And so, like you said, we can do everything right and we still get busted. And for me, like you just said, we have all these tools, especially as hunters with our scent regiment, our scent control system that we use, we use all these things to try to add up to this accumulative score to try to help us get closer and to give us an advantage. And like I mentioned earlier, for me and for any hunter and whatever 
whatever skill level or, you know, experience level, for me, and Ozonics is the most powerful tool of all because if I can get past a deer's nose, if I can, you know, do everything right and still get busted, but if I can put an Ozonics above my head and all of a sudden I'm not getting busted, all of a sudden I'm, I'm giving myself 10 seconds, 10 feet, 10 yards, mm-hmm. like sometimes that makes all the difference, you know, and whether you're a guy that's hunted for 50 years or you're going out for the first time, you know, so um, that's what really, really it boils down to for me. Um, yeah, so. Nice. John, do you have a question? You want to jump in? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I've been a Ozonics user since um, 2013. So definitely a right believer. Um, love the stuff. Um, was completely blown away. You know, had that aha moment the very first season um, where the buck's going downwind. I mean, I'm going, oh, no, oh, no, it's over, it's over wait, he's not even looking at me. He's just cruising. You know what I mean? Um, so that's when I was a believer and, and I was probably your all's, uh, biggest customer and salesman, uh, unpaid salesman in Northern Kentucky there for a while, but the, to play devil's advocate, cause I think that's, you know, anybody listening there, you guys understand the skeptics of ozone yep. were, until yep, we're dead and gone. There's still going to be skeptics of ozone. So just playing devil's advocate, You know, one of the things before I ran Ozone, you know, you have to learn the wind. As a general rule of thumb, do you ever find situations where people become Ozone uh, consumers and they're like, I don't have to play the wind anymore. I got this thing. And they're, they're losing or potentially losing some of their what I call woodsman, you know, tactics. Yep. No, that's, yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, it's interesting for me because I think, I think to kind of, I, and I'll, I, I hope I answer it. I hope I answer your question. I feel like there are a lot of people and I am guilty of this as well. You know, a lot of my buddies, we call what you're describing. We call those killer wins, right? When maybe I have a win, that's not the right, it's not the right day to hunt that stand, but I know that that buck is going to be there because I got him on camera He's going to come out. He's going to walk when that wind's in his face. And I have to give a little to get a little, right? And so I call those killer wins, right? When I have a day that I know I could get in there, but if I go in there, there's a good chance he's going to bust me if I don't have an Ozonics. When I put an Ozonics above my head and it's the right time of year, I'll gamble. I'll stop hunting the wind and I'll start hunting the deer. You know what I mean? Um, That's what I do when the time's right. Do I feel like sometimes people... I? talk to people every day during the fall that say, well, geez, I got busted. Right. And they tell me that they've been hunting the wrong wind, not even thinking about the wind the entire season. And they start to lean on the unit too much. You know what I mean? Do I think that happens? Absolutely. And I think that I, I will be the first guy to tell you, and like I said, we're doing seminars at a lot of these different consumer shows that we're going to. It's funny to watch people's faces. When I say this, I tell, I, first thing I say, when we start the seminar is listen, guys, Using ozone with an ozonics is not 100%. And people are like, what? I'm like, dude, it's not. Like, do I still get busted? Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like, and I'm glad I do because it's called fair chase. Like, if I never got busted and, you know, officers and biologists were out there testing these products and realized that they could get past the deer's nose every single time, 
we wouldn't be able to sell them. Like we wouldn't be doing this podcast. You know what I mean? Like I would be probably flipping burgers at McDonald's. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like, and wouldn't have, I would enjoy it because I love McDonald's. But (laughs) so, you know, I feel like, you know, I feel like do people lean on it? Absolutely. Do I feel like sometimes they lose? I don't know. I don't feel like people lose their edge, but I feel like they lean on it. I get a lot of people that talk to me about it and say, well, I have a moral or an ethical problem because we as hunters have taken so many things away from an animal. Like we sit in a tree stand, we've got all this awesome camouflage. We've got crazy awesome binoculars that can see them from forever away. And you know, guys, you know, I hear, hear people that razz about the hex suits, right? Oh, they can't even see if you got a hex suit on or da 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 da. And I, I guess my thing to that is, is that the sport of hunting, the sport of archery, bow hunting, whatever you want to call it, it's constantly evolving. You know what I mean? Like, I remember hearing stories about men and women walking around the ATA show way at the beginning with shirts on that said no wheels, right? Because they came out with compounds. People said that was cheating. You know what I mean? And, and then carbon arrows were a bad idea because it was going to break off in the animal and you couldn't eat it because it was going to, it was going to spoil the meat and all this crazy stuff. You know, like the sport is constantly evolving. And I think Ozonics is just the next evolution of that. Do I still think it's first chase? Absolutely. Do I think that sometimes people can lean on it too much? Yes. But for me, I will be the guy that will tell you when it's the time to ride and it's time to roll the dice, I'm going to stop hunting the winner. I'm going to start hunting the deer because I've seen what an Ozonics can do for me and I believe in it, you know? So John, does that answer your question? Totally. So, and, and that's, and that's actually, I didn't want to say it because you're our guest. So, and you're our ozonics expert. So I wanted, that's basically what I wanted you to say. Um, that's a lot of the way how I explain it to people as well. And and I'm right there with you. I'm the first one to, I'm sitting there. Um, I refer to it as slicing the pie from my previous yeah. um, law enforcement background. I call it slicing the pie. You know, when you're, when you're about to breach a doorway, you don't want to just get into the doorway and you start slicing the pie, going, looking a little further, looking a little further, looking a little further, you know, one slice at a time, kind of looking at that, um, you know, the eye funnel. So I'm the same way with the Ozonics. I'll go ahead and push the envelope a little bit. And at times I probably push it a little too far, but you know, whenever you get lucky and the Ozonics, you know, it works exactly the way the wind played in your favor and you're putting the ozone in that deer's face and he's not picking you off, it kind of makes you kind of cheat the wind a little more and you cheat the wind a little yep. more. And, um, and it's worked very well for me. I've had some times where I've had those, those goofy wind shifts that you just can't avoid. And, um, you know, and the unit didn't work, but you know, does it, uh, can I say every season that I've gained more encounters and, have I got that extra five seconds or that extra 10 seconds? Heck yeah. And that's why I take it with me with all my other gear and the camera equipment. It's still in the pack every single time. Um, yeah, absolutely, man. And I, I think that, I think the thing that I like to tell people too is, and what we focus on is listen, if you start hunting with the Ozonics, hunt the way you hunt, right? Hunt the right wind, right? Hunt the right wind on the right day and the right stand. Do everything like you'd normally do. Just exhaust that ozone in the downwind direction and watch what happens because every single person will see for themselves. Like how many hundreds of thousands of people that we talk to, every guy says the same thing. You know what I mean? Like, Oh my gosh, dude, like this thing's blowing me out of the water. Like I can't believe what just happened just like it did to me. Right? Like 
everybody has that jaw dropping moment, you know, and, and I just tell people hunt the way you hunt, hunt the right wind and just let your own experiences determine how you're going to utilize that tool. Like you're saying, slicing that pile, Mm -hmm. slicing that pie. And all of a sudden kind of doing and pushing the envelope a little more than you would have and giving yourself an advantage. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, absolutely. Now with everything in technology, um, medicines and and everything like that there's all these breakthroughs when ozonics first came out um the general rule was you know throw it downwind well now as you guys have continued to develop and kind of i don't want to call it change the formulation but change the output um of how much ozone that it's producing what is the the latest tactics you know what are some of the new things that you guys are teaching people that Maybe uh, you were teaching something differently, you know, years ago. Yep, yep. So I think one of the big things, um, you know, that we've really that we've really tried to really clarify with people over the last couple of years, and a lot of it is because of what people see, right? Whether it's digitally, you know what I mean, like through social media, or they see it in an ad, or they or not in an ad really, but if they see it on like a television show or whatever that might be, is how to set it up in a ground blind. Uh, we really have been trying to clarify that. And uh, the thing I always say is make sure in a ground blind, you're trying to treat the air leaving the blind, not the air in the blind, okay? So how you want to do that, if you're trying to treat the air leaving the blind, not the air in the blind, is you want to try to create a draft within the blind, right? We want to let the air in on the upwind side and let the air out on the downwind side. So by doing that, it's like a chimney, right? There's air coming in and air going out. So when you do that, what you're doing is you're really bottlenecking where your scent is going out of that blind. Instead of being an open air environment, it's closed, right? You've got walls all around you. So you've got a one foot, you know, one foot by two foot window that all of your scent's going out of that blind. And then position that ozonics inside the ground blind above the window in that downwind direction. We see so many people that try to position the unit just like in a tree stand, like above their head behind them. But we're not trying to treat the air in the blind. We're trying to treat the air leaving the blind, right? So that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of mm-hmm. one of the big tactics when it comes to a ground blind. Um, and then, like I said, in a tree stand, in a tree stand, it's all about height, direction, and angle, right? So we always want to use a unit six to ten inches above your head. We always want to point the unit, the front of the unit, exhausting that ozone in the downwind direction, and then adjust the angle depending on the wind speed. So that's something that I think that a lot of people just will put it above their head and kind of put it either at a level or at kind of a 30-degree angle down. 30-degree angle is good for like a zero to 12-mile-an-hour wind, but when you start to get... 12 to 15 and above, you need to start really angling that unit more vertically down. In essence, on a windier day, we're trying to pour that ozone into your downwind side faster. Um, so, like you said, that's kind of the big things that you're in height, direction, angle, and just make sure we're trying to exhaust as much ozone in your downwind side so all of your scent has to go through that ozone, right? So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, those are the really the big tactics when it comes to a tree center ground blind. Um, yeah, so. Nice. Yeah, I... Perfect. Uh, I'm looking forward to because, of course, as, as I mentioned earlier, you know, Pennsylvania just this year became a state that's you know legal to use uh, ozone in the in the timber. So I've used some treatment yep. options, you know, for my clothes and stuff like that. I've actually seen a difference just in terms of treating my clothes, um, you know, in the past two uh, past two years. So yep. I'm really really excited to put the unit in the uh, in the tree this year and see what uh and, and see what happens. But I'm curious, man, you know, I saw you guys at the, uh, at the Harrisburg show in Pennsylvania and noticed the booth was busy, you know, the, the, the days that I was there. So I'm just curious how, uh, 
how the reaction has been and how the how the support has been from the uh, from the Pennsylvania hunters. It's been really good. Yeah, like you said, um, it was really interesting, right? Like I said, because Ozonix in previous years, you know, an Ozonix was not a permitted electronic device. And then as of this fall, it became a permitted device. They voted on it and it got passed. So, yeah, it was a great response. Um, you know, a lot of people were super excited. A lot of people were very aware. It was probably like 60-40. 60% of guys really knew about it and 40% didn't. A lot of guys would walk up and be like, man, I'd love to have them, but it's not permitted. Like, actually, it is, you know, so... Um, we had a lot of great conversations um, via that way. Um, and I think the big thing at the shows that a lot of people really gravitated towards this year, um, and especially at Harrisburg, and I kind of going back to what John just mentioned, mentioned about tactics, is like you said, a lot of people, and even at PA, um, guys that were like, man, I want one because it's permitted now, I'd love to have one, they understand and they want to use it in a tree stand, but they don't think to use it on the way in and out, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I think, something that that's kind of been a tactic that we've really trying to shed a lot of light on for people is, listen, you can not only use it, not only in a tree stand, but why would you, you know, emit odor into your hunting area all the way in and all the way out? Why would you try to, you know, do the best you can to lessen that impact? So that kinetic pack really allows you to wear it from the minute you leave the truck to the minute you get back. Or when you're checking trail cams all summer, right? Or if you're, yeah. if you're trimming with a wicked tree saw, right? Like, I'm wearing my kinetic pack just trying to make it so I'm just not you know, just, just not putting as much odor into my, into my area. You know what I mean? So I think that's a big thing that a lot of people in PA were really gravitating towards too, was obviously the units, but then just saying, Hey, listen, man, like using the tree stands awesome and absolutely, but let's figure out how we can use it from the minute you leave the truck to the minute you get back. So yeah, it was a great response. And I think the cool thing about Harrisburg that, you know, I had done the Harrisburg show years ago before when it was owned by that other company. Um, but I think the cool thing is there's so many people from so many states, like oh, West yeah. Virginia, you know, obviously Pennsylvania, New York. I mean, it was crazy just how many Ohio, like Kentucky, you're getting so many different, just so many groups of people that are coming there um, from so many different states. That's, I think, the funnest thing is just getting to meet so many different guys, men and women, and talk to them about <laughs> about their run, about how their deer herd's doing, like whatever it might be. I just think it's so neat to... And I feel like Harrisburg, that show is just such a melting pot. People mark it on their calendar. I mean, they know when that show is, you know, and it's just, uh, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, it was, it was really, 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 really good response. Yeah, it was cool. You know, John, you know, of course, John and I were, were both there at, at various booths and stuff. And, you know, we got to meet a bunch of different people from a bunch of different places, you know, that, 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 that stopped into, that were coming to the show. And it was some of the, the cool thing was it was some folks that, you know, we met either through the podcast or on social media or, you know, John on his, his, uh, Arrow wild show or his podcast and stuff. And it's like, and they happen to be passing through and they see us and they're like, Hey, how's it going, man? And it's like, and you feel like, you know, the person already, you've probably talked a couple of times on social media, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? And it's like, and you saw a picture of the deer that they got this year and you're like, Hey man, that buck was really nice deer. You know, where'd you get that at? You know, you just start talking and telling stories with each other and, you know, it's just, again, going back to that camaraderie, man, it's always a good, it's always a good time there. You always get to see really good people, you know, get to see some cool products. Um, you know, and that's kind of, you know, I guess what it's all about, but man, I don't want to keep you here too long. I know we've had you here for about an hour so. We'll just kind of go ahead and ask this last question here and, and wrap this thing up so I can get you, uh, I think you're circling the lake if I'm not mistaken. Um, in, in, the, in the car. Yeah, I am. How did you know that? Yeah, well, you told me whenever we talked last week when we were scheduling, you were like, "I'll probably get in my car and drive around a lake so my kids aren't screaming in the dude, background." Yeah, dude, it's so funny. Yeah, like I've got, like I said, Mia's eleven, she's fine, and Jet, he's little, but Bo, 
my buddies, her name's Bo Daisy, but my na- my buddies and my neighbors call her Bo Crazy because she's like <laughs> a wild animal. Seriously, it's like trying to hold a wild cat. Right. So if I'm at home, this would this interview would have, it would have been like, Daddy, get off the phone, Daddy. So yeah, I'm I'm literally driving around in my wife's Buick. I've done like four laps around the lake, and the like, cops are like, "What is this guy doing?" But uh, yeah, it's like the only way that I could find some peace and quiet. Yes, yeah, so we'll we'll make sure that the cops leave you alone, and we'll only ask you one more question here, man. I just always like to end on <laughs> yeah. on a story of a hunt, and uh, if you if you don't mind, take us on a memorable hunt that you've had, and give us all the details from the from the time you stepped into the timber and uh, until you got back to the tailgate. Yeah, yeah, you know, oh man. So I feel like for me, my big thing is, is like I said, especially with the recurve, I've done a lot of my buddies call me a nature watcher because with a recurve, I don't, I don't harvest a lot of stuff. Right. Like right. there's a lot of times that I just can't, I just can't take the shot. Right. It's just too far or, you know, stuff just doesn't work out. Right. So, um, I've done some pretty, I've had some pretty awesome adventures, right. Spent some time, you know, like I said, uh, on Kodiak Island for caribou and sick and then on Adak Island for caribou. Um, but kind of a trip that felt like something I probably would never have gotten to do, you know, just without just a good friend was, um, I shot a, uh, I harvested a Columbia blacktail in Northern California, hmm. um, with a friend of mine, a guy that I guided with, his name was Lane Sanderson. Um, his dad was a ranch manager, um, in Northern California and, uh, they do ranching for wildlife. So they work with the state of California. And because of that, they, the state helps manage their deer herd. So because they cooperate with that, they get to hunt a month earlier and a month later than everybody else, the regular season. So we were hunting these Columbia blacktail, like July 10th, (laughs) you know what I mean? Um, so it was like super duper early. And that time of year, the grass, it's, I always, I call it rice crispy grass because it gets really, really dry. Um, but these hills are so, in Northern California, it's really, really hilly and there's just tons of bluffs. And so we're, you have a really great opportunity to do a lot of spot and stalking. So, of course, I'm like taking my recurve, right? Right. And so um, we were there for seven days um, and put on like 40 stocks in seven days on these Columbia blacktail. Or, yeah, these Columbia blacktail just had a phenomenal time. My my uh, my buddy Lane shot one with his recurve at 30 yards with his recurve. Just made an absolutely phenomenal shot. Um, and we were due to leave by like whatever it was, like 11 o'clock that morning because we had to drive all through the day, through the night, and all the next day to get back to Colorado so Lane could jump on a plane. He was supposed to go video a hunt. And so, um, of course, just getting down to the very last minute, we glassed up this great uh, blacktail buck and uh, just made this crazy stock. Got within 15 yards of this buck. He was bedded down, um, and my buddy Lane was videoing the whole thing, which was kind of cool, and uh, got the buck to stand up and made a shot on it. Um, just a crazy, crazy deal and recovered it. Like I said, it was an awesome thing. It was just really neat. It was in velvet. Um, and like you said, it was that kind of neat. That hunt was, it was a draw blood policy. So, um, I got to go on the hunt just because of my buddy lane. It was like a $5,000 hunt, but because I was with lane, his dad just let me hunt for free. Right. So it was something I probably never would have done otherwise. Right. But he said, Hey, listen, you can tell him, but it's, you shoot, you know, you draw blood on one and that's it. Right. And so I was trying to be super, super particular to really make a, to get a good shot. And just so happened, like I said, got within 15 yards of this buck, made a great shot on it. Um, and like you said, that's, 
it's a, it's a, it was a two by two. They call it a Pacific fork. So mm-hmm. when they turn into a two by two like that, they never get any bigger. Wow. Um, so it was just kind of neat. It was just bit, just this, it scored in the like one fourteen or something like that. So that was kind of neat in velvet in July. Um, you know, so it was just kind of a, that was probably one of the most memorable hunts where I, like I said, harvested an animal. That was just something that I'm pretty proud of. And it's, you know, it's, it's definitely a conversation piece. People like buddies are like, what is that thing? You know what I mean? Like is that a mule deer, you know what I mean? So, um, you know, so that was something I'm pretty proud of. Had a, had a blast on that hunt for sure. Nice. Awesome, man. Well, Hey, before we let you get out of here, uh, if you don't mind, why don't you share, uh, some places where people can find out more information about Ozonics? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, and I, we were, I just wanted to mention as well, like I said, as we move forward into 2018, um, the big thing about trying to find us is a lot of people, if you're out there trying to go into retail stores as of January one of this year, we've got a hundred percent consumer direct, meaning we aren't selling in retail anymore. Um, so moving forward, the best place to find stuff, whether that's information or looking to buy products or any questions, instructional videos, FAQs is going to be right off of our website. Um, ozonicshunting.com. Um, you can also follow us on Instagram at Ozonics Hunting. Um, we actually started another Instagram now that I've been, that a guy that I work with, Bergie, and I have been running. It's been kind of fun. We're calling it Ozonics Every Day, um, which is literally just everything that we do every single day. So, like, tomorrow morning I'm going to be Instagram living. Um, I'm taking Bergie on a turkey hunt. So <laughs> we're going we're gonna to skip out of work for a few hours in the morning. But like I said, OzonicsHunting.com and then Ozonics Hunting Instagram, Ozonics Every Day on Instagram. We also have a YouTube page, which is just Ozonics Hunting as well. So, um, like I said, check us out or give us a call um, at 979-285-2400. Like I said, we're always, we're all, our phones are always um, open. We'd love to talk to you guys. If anybody has any questions about anything, we'd love to talk to you. Or just, or just uh, sh- you know, shoot the hunting stories for sure. So Nice. Awesome. Hey, man, I appreciate you coming on, and uh, I'll definitely be hitting you up here at some point for uh, maybe a little public land info for for Iowa, and I'm sure you'll probably run into John down at the gas station. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, I, I really appreciate you guys having me on, and like I said, thanks to Tom, man, and John, like I said, it was good good to catch up with you again, dude. That's too funny. I didn't even realize it was going to be you, so that's awesome. <laughs> yep, awesome, dude. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. We'd like to thank Cole for joining us. Be sure to head over to ozonicshunting.com and check out all of their gear. The good news is now, if you are a Pennsylvania hunter like me, Ozonics is now legal for us to use. So we're uh, catching up to the rest of the country in that regard. At least maybe one day we'll have a Sunday hunting too. Also, be sure to follow Ozonics on Facebook and Instagram. We'd, of course, like to thank all of you for listening. And if you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating. And subscribe to the podcast so we can deliver each and every podcast directly to your mobile devices. That would be awesome. And before we shut this thing down, we need to give a big shout out to our partners that continue to help us make this podcast possible. Wicked Tree Gear, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Trophy Ridge, Ozonics, Obsession Bows, Tecamani Seed, Glacier Coolers, Ramcat Broadheads, and Trophy Taker Rests. And until next time, we'll see y'all. I ain't welcome anymore. If it's all, it takes a special knowing to colorful. Damaged heads, broken letters. Rationalize yourself in numbers, but I gotta get away from here.
All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do-hard-shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.